Dad, thank you so much for Pastor Louis. Thank you for his heart to serve people. And just thank you so much that he's here tonight to be able to share your heart with the rest of the congregation. I just pray that you touch his lips, touch his tongue, Lord, that he may speak only words that are coming straight from you, Lord, and that you help him, give him the strength um, and the courage to say maybe the difficult things, but that need to be said. We thank you so much, Lord. In your mighty and wonderful name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Leah. I don't know if I can pull off all that much personality, but I'll, I'll do my best. And last week, Natasha preached, and that's a lot of personality, so I'm, I'm in for a hiding tonight. So just strap in and, and just stay with me. It's fantastic. It's such a privilege for us, Natasha and myself, to be here this evening and to get to hang out with you lot a little bit and just to experience what God is doing in this space. Also, in all of our spaces as a church, it's just a wonderful season of the Lord's moving. And uh, even in this space also, who knew that God can move on a Sunday night with young adults? It's happening. Write it on the new, in the newspapers. It's happening. It's fantastic. Hey? Uh, put it on the gram. That's a new thing. I, I don't know if that's common, how you call it, the gram, or is that Leah? How does that, is that, is that the gram now? Okay. I'm adopting that, the gram. Okay. Um, we're busy with a series that we started a couple of weeks ago that we've entitled Love Revolution. So I trust that you've been engaging with us in some way, and uh, you can please go onto our social media platforms at the Gram also, and for the older people, Facebook even, and things like that, and you can get the messages and links to the messages and watch on YouTube. But um, we're just considering what it means to respond to the Lord from a place of love, that that becomes the highest motivation of our lives, is to love God. And we just believe that it's so important that that what we want to do for the Lord, we don't do for any other reason but because we love Him. And ultimately that if we respond from a place of love, we'll actually go further in our service for the Lord than any other motivation that we could have can take us. So we're talking about this love revolution, how, it re how, how lives can be revolutionized and how our society can be revolutionized by knowing and understanding the love of God. And today's message is entitled, To Know and Be Known. To Know and be known. Not about you, but it's generally true of people that one of the things that we value highly is to know things. We all like to be in the know. We all like to feel like we know things. There's something about it that's a survival mechanism, because if you know something, it has less threat for you. If you understand how something works, then you feel you've got a sense of control over it. Then, then you can deal with it. If you don't know how something works and it's a big something or something happening, then it, it, it's easy for that to cause you to feel threatened and to feel anxious about it because you don't know how it works. We all value knowing, even to the point where we just don't like to be the person that doesn't know what's going on. So I find myself, I do this all, I do not know why I do it. Perhaps I was dropped on my head when I was little, I don't know. But I find myself all the time, somebody will come to me and talk to me about something and say, you know so-and-so, or you know that that happened, and I go, yeah, and meanwhile I have no clue what they're talking about. And, and I think I get away with it probably more often than I actually get away with it. Most of the time the people go, yeah, I can see you don't know what I'm talking about, but they just smile and play along, you know, and, and all of that, and they don't want to offend me. But a lot of the times people say something, I don't know, but I'm not going to tell them I don't know. Because we want to be in the know. We want to be those people that know things and understand things. But there's a deeper need that we have 
than just to know things. And it is this need. It is to be known. It's to be known. It's for somebody to know me. It is one of the chief desires of our lives. It is one of the things that directs our actions the most. And how we approach life is the desire to be known. To feel like somebody really knows me. Because if, if somebody knows me, it is possible that they can love me. If I'm not known by anybody, they can't love me. If you don't know I exist, you can't love me. But the moment you know I exist, I can feel like it's possible that you can love me. We don't like this idea of anonymity, of not being known. We want to be known. Nowadays, you find all these reality TV programs. Nowadays, it's been around for many years now. But where people will do the most stupid things. I mean, and you know, and you go, why are you singing on international television? Don't you have people that love you enough that told you you really shouldn't sing outside of the shower? And even there, do it softly. I mean, have you seen, or, or people that, that talk about their relationships on these shows, like, what was his name? Uh, it's very old now, sorry. Jerry Springer. Thank you very much, Mika. You know what I'm talking about. We've, we've been around a little while. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, and you go, why would you tell the whole world about those stupid things that you're doing? Because people have such a desire to be known that even if it's their, you know, stuff that's embarrassing, at least I'm known. At least somebody recognized me, knows me. There's a quote from a movie that was an old movie, The Insider, Christopher Plummer, which is a really old actor also, played a character by the name of Mike Wallace. And in this movie, he says the following, fame has a 15-minute half-life. Infamy, infamy lasts a little longer. I think somebody adapted that quote and said that fame may be fleeting, but infamy lasts a lifetime. And it's true, it's one of the most scary things to think that nobody knows me. Nobody really knows me. Because if nobody really knows me, then nobody can really love me. We want to be known. And I mean, and we live in a fantastic time where through the gram and Facebook and other things, you can actually make yourself known to a broader audience of people than, than you know, used to be happen in the past. We can self-publish. I mean, we, we, we tell the story of our lives on all these social media platforms and, and we try and gain as many likes and followers as we can because we want to be known. We want somebody to notice us. We want somebody to see us. And so we spend an inordinate amount of time, not only on our digital platforms and our digital, digital self, but also in real life. Not, I shouldn't say real life, in, you know, non-digital life, analog life, or whatever life that may be. We spend time and put a lot of energy into, you know, that if somebody's going to notice me, they must really notice the good things about me. I want to be seen and I want to be known. So we make ourselves known. And it's fantastic to do that. The challenge just is, however, that sometimes we can be so careful in the image that we curate about ourselves, that we present to the world, 
that it's actually not you any longer. You know, we, we choose the, the nice, clever sayings and we post it so that we may look clever. We, we find a clever little quip and we post it so that we may look like we have a sense of humor. We, we take photos when we are in the nicest places so that we can look like we, we're happening. Or when, when we eat this really nice meal, we take photos and we share it because we want people to notice us and feel, oh, wow. But let me tell you, so often when we look at those things, you go, is it really real? We have a close person in our life that is a, that is a social media influencer. She gets paid, you know, to put stuff in her Instagram and things. And so it's fantastic whenever we hang out with her and we spend time. We always have to, whenever we take photos, she has to look at the photo first before you are allowed to post it. It has to meet a certain criteria. And we always wonder, does she actually have photos that are just regular photos? I don't, I don't know because everything is staged. Everything is set up perfectly because she has a public persona that she has to keep up to draw likes and, and followers so that she can sell the th products that she has and, you know, do that. Now, we know her and we know the real person she is, but if you don't know the real person, you can form an opinion about who she is by those things, which so often is really not who she is. And that's the reality. Famous people and people that are, are you know, sports stars or musicians or actors or, you know, public figures, they, they, they understand this eventually. First of all, fame is this amazing thing that happens to people and, and it can be easy to think that now I'm known and therefore I'm loved. But as you grow with it, you realize people love the persona that they think you are. But they may not really love you because they don't know you. And if you don't make sure that in your life you may be very famous and have all these thousands and millions of people that like everything you do and, and so excited about your life. But if you don't have a core group of people, primary relationships that says we love you because we know you. Or despite the fact that we know you, we love you. <laughs> then you can really become, you know, unstable in many ways. Because you're trying to keep the sense of being loved by people. Because you want to be noticed, you want to be seen. And God made us each with that. It's deep within us. So that He can know us. This is the good news of the gospel. God knows you. You have not lived one second, one moment where God's focus has not been upon you. He knows you. You are known, completely and fully known. There's not a thought that you have that God is not aware of and does not know. In fact, God knows you better than you know yourself. Because we look at ourselves through really rose-colored glasses or you know, or, or dark glasses, or kind of, we have twisted views about ourselves. But God knows us. Well, let me say me. God knows me. I sometimes overestimate myself or underestimate myself, and God knows me. God knows you. There's not an intent of your heart that God does not know. 
Sometimes we do something nice for somebody and, and they think, oh, he's so nice. But meanwhile, God knows that you were actually trying to get that person to do something that you need them to do. And that's the only reason you were being nice. You were actually manipulating them, but you looked so nice. They don't know that. Nobody else may know it, but God knows it. You may give something to somebody and they may think, oh, you're so generous. Meanwhile, you're just actually investing and in hoping to get a return from something. They don't know that. You may have done it so often that you don't even know you're doing it anymore. But God knows. He knows us. Now, if I say that to you, how does that make you feel this evening? If I say to you, God knows you. He knows your inner struggles. He knows your fears. He knows your dreams. He knows your desires. He knows the thing that is, that is keeping your life captured. He knows the things that you are striving for that aren't good for you. He knows. How does that make you feel? It can be a little scary, to be honest with you, to think that I've really got no privacy. I've really got no part of my life that is mine. Forget about big brother, worry about big God. He's looking in on you all the time. I mean, you, there's nowhere you can go where God says, okay, I'll give you that moment. You, you, you know, I mean, he's with us all the time. Everything in our lives, he searches, he, he sees can be a little bit scary. I mean, we all have stuff in our lives that we really wouldn't like somebody to know about. Because we think that if they know about it, they're not going to like us anymore and they're going to reject us. They're going to withdraw from us. They're going to, they're going to treat us differently if they really knew what was going on inside of us. And so we, we you know, I talk about our, our laundry room in our house, for instance. Our laundry room in our house is a little room upstairs hidden away from public view because it's chaos. If you came to our house and the first thing you saw was our laundry room, you wouldn't like us. You wouldn't think that we are civilized people because four boys. I mean, our socks and underwear basket is this big. And I don't know, they never pack it away. I don't, let me not embarrass my sons. Let me just move on. But really, I mean, how many of you know that in the house you grew up, or perhaps you, you, in your own life, you've got a drawer or something that you go, nobody must look in that drawer. I mean, my mom's always said to me, listen, if I die, just come and clean the house before anybody else comes. You know, it's like we all have that fear that somebody's coming, you know. Because we all have those little places in our lives where we, where we, we put our stuff. And we hide away the things that, that if somebody knew that about us, they, the chances are they're not going to like us. But I want to tell you, God knows that room. He sees that room. And the more you try and keep him out of that room, the more he wants to get into that room. Forget every other room. He starts going, I want that room. Lord, but you've got the whole of the rest of the house. Can't you be satisfied with that? Why are you so concerned with this? What is wrong with you, Lord? Because if I don't have that, I don't have you. I see you. And this is the fantastic thing that not only does God know me, but he loves me. 
He knows me. He knows everything about me. And yet, He loves me. And I can tell you, I am not always so lovable. I'm not always so easy to love. But somehow, God knowing everything about me, and He still loves me. Not just a little bit, a lot. With everything He has, He says, I love you. You are my beloved son and daughter in whom I am well pleased. Hang on, Lord. Have you seen this? Do you, do you mean that included? Do you remember this, Lord? Are you, are you serious that you love me? I can list for you the things that really shouldn't make you love me. But God says, I know. There's nothing you can tell me. I even know the stuff that you don't know about yourself. And I love you. I love you, he says. Tell me, that's a scary thought sometimes. Because that love is real and it's in your face. And that love comes and says, there's nothing you can do that will stop me from loving you. Now, everything you do is not right and good, and we need to deal with it. But the only way we can deal with it is because you allow me, because you know I love you. When I want to take something away from you, God says, it's not because I don't, I, I, I'm just trying to be funny or spoil your party or, or do something in your life that, you know, for whatever reason, it's because I love you. Do you trust me? Will you allow me to love you? You see, it's exactly when we come to the place where our, the, the, the stuff that we are the most ashamed of that we can say, Lord, I want you to love that part of me. I want to be open with you about that part of me. You see, it started right in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and fell short of the glory of God and shame became part of their, their experience. And by shame, I don't mean shame as, oh, I did something wrong, I feel bad about it. The shame they were feeling, we can describe it like this, is I am not good enough. I have failed. And no matter what I do, I'll never be good enough. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. And can I tell you that every single person that lives on this planet, the enemy is always telling you there's something wrong with you. You are not good enough and you'll never be good enough. That's the shame we talk about. When Adam and Eve felt that shame, what did they do? They went and hid somewhere, like you can hide from God. And then they found fig leaves and they covered themselves up. And not only were they ashamed before God, but they looked at each other and they were ashamed before each other. And we still do the same thing. We still play the same game today. How many of you know that when you've done something wrong, what do you do? Do you run to the Lord with the sin still fresh on you. You still smell like the sin. You still carry the sin and you go, Lord, I have sinned. I need you to love me. Or do you go, okay, I've sinned. I'm just going to withdraw, sneak out. <laughs> Lord, he's not going to notice that I'm not around. And I'm just going to work on my sin here for a little while and I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to get some fig leaves and I'm going to make myself look presentable and, and, and I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to hide away for a little bit. And then after a couple of weeks, you go, hello, Lord. <laughs> and we think we fooled him. We haven't. 
And his heart is breaking and he's saying, come, I want to talk to you about your sin. We experience that as him further heaping up on our shame and our guilt. And we don't want to talk about our sin because that means we have to own up to it. We have to accept it and face it. And we don't want to do that. We want to say, Lord, no, 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 let's forget about that. I just want you to know I love you. The Lord says, I know I love you, but we have to talk about that. Because it's destroying you and it's hurting other people. And it's the biggest problem is it's taking you away from me. So that the very thing that you need to help you deal with your problem, the love that I have for you, you are actually withdrawing from that love. Can I use an example? Pornography. When we get caught in pornography, which my heart bleeds for people today. Because you don't have to go looking for it. It finds you. I mean, you can hardly watch television today. I, I don't know what's going on. But it's like there's a full-on assault of sexuality going on. In the most innocent of places nowadays, it just comes at you. Even the places where you would think, oh, I can just sit here and enjoy and be relaxed. You get attacked. And when that stuff comes into our lives and we start believing the lie, because what, how, does, how does that work in our lives? Why does that grab hold of us? Why do we do that? It's directly connected to this idea of wanting to be known by somebody. Because it plays on that deepest need that we have for intimacy. It just does it in a very poor way. It presents to us something that it sells as intimacy, but there's absolutely no intimacy. The reality is it removes you from the capacity to have intimacy. Because you objectify somebody. When you get caught in pornography, you're objectifying somebody. You're not, you're not having a relationship with a person that is all the stuff that is needed for real relationship. You make a person a something. And when you do that, and when you start having feelings of intimacy attached with a something, you are breaking down your ability to have intimacy. And I know intimacy is scary. I thought about this today. Vulnerability and transparency is the risk. Intimacy is the reward. If you want to know intimacy, you have to be prepared to take the risks to be known by somebody. Natasha and I married 28 years. And you know what it means for me in my life that I have this person and I've got others in my life also, but her the most, the deepest. She knows me. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the really ugly. She knows. And we have a covenant with each other that there's no secrets between us. I mean... I keep my PIN number a secret. Well, I tried, but she figured that out as well. So now we have the same PIN number. It's like really scary. You know, we, we really have like, you know. But you know what that does for me is the fact that I'm completely transparent and vulnerable to her. And she still loves me means that there's a deep sense in my life of I am known and I am loved. That's the lie that's something that pornography tries to sell. But you know, when you've bought into that lie, there's only one way to get out of it. And that's to come to the Father and to say, I need to be known. 
and I'm coming to you with my brokenness, with my shame. I'm not going to try and fix it first and then come to you. Right now, Lord, here I am. I'm sitting watching this garbage. And I turn and I say, Lord, you see me in this moment. I recognize that you see me. I recognize that you are with me right now. And that you love me in this moment. God doesn't accept the sin. He's holy. He hates that stuff because it is an offense against him and it is an offense against you and it is an offense against anybody else that is part of that. But you're not going to deal with it because you're going to feel bad and guilty. You're going to deal with it because you come and you say, Lord, I obviously need to be loved. I obviously have a hole inside of my heart. I obviously have a question about my worth. I, I perhaps don't think that I'm worthy of really feeling and experiencing intimacy or whatever it may be. I need you to come and meet with me in this moment. It's when you do that when transformation really happens. When the power of the love of God comes and he says, now let's begin to deal with this. Can I be so vulnerable before God? And no, because the, the, the stupid thing is we play like he doesn't see our stuff, but he sees it. So you might as well own up for it. You might as well stop playing that stupid game of hide and seek with God. You cannot hide from him and he doesn't bother seeking you because he knows exactly where you are. When he asked Adam, where are you? It's not because he didn't know. He was trying to draw them out. He was trying to create a space for them to take the first step to say, here we are, Lord. He says to you, come. 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 There's a, a 17th century preacher that said this about his prayer life. He was experiencing a time where God was really meeting with him in his prayer life. And he says this, almost every week, a measure of his great love comes down upon my heart. He has unlocked every compartment of my being and filled and flooded them all with the light of his radiant presence. The inner spot has been touched and the flintiness of my heart has been melted in the presence of love divine. All loves excelling. The inner spot has been touched. Are you prepared to take the risk with God to say, here's my inner spot, Lord. I give you my inner spots. I trust you with my inner spots. The places that I really want to keep secret, but I can trust you with that. Because you can. Because we don't have to fear him. Because this is the truth of God's love, and I'm supposed to read the scripture for you, but my time's running out. So 1 John 4, verse 13 to 16. And then... Let me read 1 John 4, 17. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Therefore, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. You see, you cannot love God and fear him at the same time. I'm not talking about respecting him, honoring him, seeing his authority. 
submitting to him, obeying him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fear that if God knows what's really going on in my life, he's going to reject me. He's going to punish me. You cannot love God and fear him at the same time. You have to come to the place where you say, Lord, I know that what I'm doing is wrong. And I'm not trying to cover it up. I'm not trying to say it's not wrong. I know it's wrong. But because I know it's wrong, I thank you, Lord, that you have judged my sin on the cross. Therefore, I can come to you today, covered in the blood of Christ, forgiven for my sin. Even this sin that I'm committing now, it's forgiven in the blood of Christ. That I can come to you, Lord Jesus, and say, Lord, see my sin. Thank you that my sin is worthy of judgment, but you have judged it. Therefore, I can come into your presence without fear and be loved by you. Because in the cross, judgment and mercy met. And God poured his mercy on my life. Not because he said, ah, you know, that stuff is not too bad. Don't worry about it. Just, you know. No, he said, no, it's really bad. Therefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it. I'm going to pay the price for it. You really deserve hell. You really deserve everlasting separation from God. But I don't want you to have that. So I'm going to punish that stuff so that you can be forgiven. So if there's sin in my life, I, I don't. I can have the confidence to say, yes, Lord, I agree that there's sin in my life. And thank you that you can deal with this sin. I don't have to be trapped in it. I don't have to carry on with it. I can be set free because of what Jesus did. And that's the, how fear diminishes in our lives. There's many Christians that, that are so afraid of God. They think they know. But every time that you have this spot, the dark spots of your life revealed, and you try and cover it up, it shows that you have fear and you don't love God. Or let me put it in a nicer way. You have not yet surrendered that part of your life to the love of God. And you think you're going to hold on to it. You think you're going to manage it. You think you're going to sort it out. My dear friend, let me tell you, you do not have the ability Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have to die on the cross for you. If you could sort it out yourself, why does he have to do that horrible thing? He died, and by the power of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives, there's nothing that he cannot bring freedom to in our lives. And when we know that, then not only do we come into communion with God, and where we can have fellowship with God, Real, open, honest fellowship with God. But we also move into a space where we can have honest and authentic relationships with one another. And kingdom Christian community becomes our reality. Because you see, if I know that I'm known and loved by God, then it really helps me to just not be so afraid to be known by somebody else or to know somebody else. Because sometimes in our lives, we're so afraid of our stuff or we're so afraid of other people's stuff that we keep them at arm's length. I'm so afraid that somebody will really see who I am so I, I, I don't allow them all that close to me. Or I'm so afraid of their stuff that I don't allow myself so close to them. And when we do that, we rob ourselves of the greatest transformation agent in our lives. And that is community under the power and grace of the, of the Lord Jesus and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I want to say to you, you 
have been made for community. And if you don't have community with people, real, authentic, honest relationships with people, there's things in your life that you will never grow to conquer. I'm so privileged. I've been in this church since 1979. And you know how this church has changed my life? Not because I've come on a Sunday. I can tell you there's times that I come on a Sunday service and I'm like, when I was like in my early 20s, and I was bored, man. You know. And I know there's some of you that come to church and you hear me preach. Not me, perhaps, but somebody else. <laughs> now you hear me preach and you go, ah. Oh. You know, coming to church, coming to a service like this, if you come in the door, you know nobody, it can be very powerful and can be many, many, very meaningful. Because perhaps as I'm speaking or somebody else is speaking, you feel, oh, they're talking to me. They've read my mail or they read my WhatsApps. What's going on? You know, and, and, we, and it can be very powerful. Or the time of music and worship can be really powerful and you can feel really inspired and you can leave and you feel a lot better. But don't think just because you feel better you've actually changed. I love George Whitfield, the famous revivalist. Somebody asked him one night and they said, how many people got saved in your meeting tonight? He said, come back in six months and I'll tell you. You can feel a lot better by just being in an environment like this. But can I tell you what really transforms your life? Is taking the risk of stepping into community. And I'm not telling you to, you know, if you have troubles trusting people, that's okay. Take it easy. Do it at the pace that you want to. But at some point, you have to say, I'm going to open my life up. If it's to one person, I'm going to take a chance. And if that fails, then you say, well, okay, that didn't work. I'm going to try the next person. And we're not going to force ourselves on you. We're not going to tell you, you know, you have to do this or whatever. All I can do tonight is invite you and say, please, come. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect yet. Stephen, close, but not 100%, you know. <laughs> He's like almost there, you know. None of us are perfect. We don't have it all together. And you can't be afraid and say, whoo, because you are cutting yourself off from something that will have a major transformation in your life. And that's, I'm so glad I, we did the year of your life. Man, I was changed by irritation. <laughs> they irritated me, the life out of me. So many of those people that I did the year of your life with. And I stayed in community in the year of your life for five years. And then Natasha and I did it for another three years after we were married. We lived in community. And can I tell you, it was terrible a lot of the time. A lot of the time it was fantastic. But when they started coloring the porridge pink, it became terrible. And we, we've had enough burnt chickens in our lives that we'd never want to eat burnt chicken again, the year of your life, house invites you to come for a meal. And it's like, oh. <laughs> With Natasha, do you have food in your handbag? This because, you know, it's going to be. I mean, not all of you know. Community houses, how many of you know? Oh, <laughs> can I just have my own room? Why do I, can't my parents afford my own room? Why do I have to share with somebody? And it's, <laughs> yeah, amen, we'll pray for you. <laughs> or whatever, whatever. It's, it's hard, but can I tell you, it's exactly what we need to have the transformative power of the love of God in our lives. He's not afraid to expose this stuff in us. 
And that's what really good community relationships do. So we do community at Hatfield. One of our values is that we're a community on a mission. It's sort of our chief value descriptor. We're a community on a mission. But our mission depends on our sense of community. Because if we can't get it right to be community as Christians, then what hope does the world have out there? If, if the gospel is not real between us, if it's not affecting the way we build relationships and how we treat each other, what right, each other, what right do we have to go tell anybody else out there about Jesus that loves them? If we can't get it right. And that's why John writes, and he writes in the last two verses of 2021, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I didn't say it, he said it. The, God, the, the disciple Jesus loved. The gentle John says, if you claim to love God yet you hate a brother or sister, you're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And by love, he doesn't mean, you know, I love Stephen because I don't talk bad about him. I don't get irritated with him. I, I don't, you know, hurt him in any way. That doesn't mean I love him. Jesus said, do unto others what you want them to do. I love Stephen because I actually take actions to show him the love of God. If you want to say, I love people, I want to ask you, how? What are you doing? Not, because it's easy, you can come to church and be part of a church and say, oh, I love this church. How? How do you love this church? How do you love the people of the church? I'm not talking about the organization, I'm talking about the people. How do you love them? What are you doing? Where are you spending time with people? Where are you getting involved so that we can say, that you can actually say, I love people because these are the things I do. That's love. That's what it leads to. And we want to just invite you to be part of our community. And it's a risk for us because you may be a strange person. <laughs> you may be a scary person. Did you hear my voice change there? That, that, that's... Years of experience in ministry. You know, it's so nice to say, hey, welcome to church. And sometimes I go, well, I don't know if I want you in our church. <laughs> hey? <It's> like, <laughs> because the more you welcome people, the more stuff they bring in their baggage and their nonsense. And you know, you go, oh, now we have to do that again. But we can't help ourselves. Because each of us have come and the Lord said to us, welcome. Bring your stuff. And so as a church, we want to say, come. Be in community with us. And one of the ways, there's many ways that we do community. There's the volunteering. And if, if you're a little bit cagey and you're sort of new around here and you say, I want to check things out before I get involved, great. No problem. Do that. Take your time. Take your time. I mean, some people attend church for five years before they decide to like, talk to somebody else. It's a bit radical, but it's okay. Take your time. I think you've got issues, but take your time. That's okay. You know, that's all right. But perhaps, you know, tonight you can say, well, I'm not ready to really step in, but I can move, not 50 chairs, but how many? 10. 10 chairs. I can move some chairs. So I'm going to come and sign up at the vault. That's a way we invite people into community. Or we've got outreaches going. Or we've got um, ministry team things that you can do. There's many different ways. But one of our chief ways is we have this thing called community groups. And that's why we see the banners that are up tonight. 
and our pastoral team have really been working hard and just to create a space of invitation. I'm not telling you tonight you have to be part of a community group from a church perspective. I'm telling you you want to be part of a community group from a discipleship perspective. And we have many different groups. Now, there's some of you that may want to join the retired people's groups. They have great food, I promise you. You don't want to miss out on that, man. I make a plan. I don't qualify, but I make a plan. They have great food. Those tunnies can bake cake, man. It's a great group to be part of. Or you can be in the empty nesters, you know, the people that are missing. You can come go visit them, and they'll all love you because they miss their children, and they'll just love you. And they'll give you stuff because they miss their children. Or you can be part of a ladies' or men's discipleship. We have multi-generational groups that are peop- different age groups, you, everybody else. We have young adults, obviously, in this space, groups. We have couples without children. Those are scary groups. don't know if you want to go to them, but the real scary ones are the ones that have little children. The parents that have, I don't know, yes, those are tough. I mean, we had groups like that at our house. We had these moms with new babies at our house, and I would escape on those Wednesdays when those ladies, they stay until one o'clock and if you hang around, they'll give you their babies to look after so that they can fellowship. I was like, no thanks, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm just kidding, but we have all sorts of fantastic ways. So we want to show you a clip. I'm going to go to the testimonies clip, just of what our community groups mean to people and then we're going to have time of worship and, and I want to pray for you. So thanks, will you show the clip? is doing life together as a community. So it's a pit stop to just get energized for the week ahead. Community group is about real people doing real life in a real way. I've got my own opinions and I think I know everything, but uh, if I'm in community, I, I see different opinions and different perspectives. I found myself in the ICU in one of the Pretoria hospitals. And guess what? The very first people to be around me we're the members of my life group. We are like a big family. Jesus Christ is central in every life group. You have good people and nice jokes. <laughs> if there's any prayer requests, we come together as a group in order to pray and to seek the Lord for guidance. Is a place where you increase or improve your intimacy with the Lord. To get to, to interact with such sometimes different people you know, different backgrounds, and, and, and yet you're all looking for the same thing. Community groups are basically just real life in a sea of superficiality. Community group to me is family. It's a place where I get to recharge at least once a week. It's a place where I get to give and get support in prayer. What I love about our group is how multicultural it is. It really feels like we learn so much about one another. Life is not about Sunday services. It's about doing life together and you do life together the rest of the week. We see, we see prayers answered. We become who God's created us or envisioned us to be. Like ice cream, donuts, cupcakes. <laughs> I would like to encourage everyone to join community groups.
We used to call our groups life groups, our small groups, but we've changed the name to fit with our mission, our vision state, our value statement of community on a mission to make it community groups and just describes what it's all about. But I'm going to ask the worship team, will you guys join me? So at the end of the service just now, we're going to give you opportunity if you want to to just let us know that you want to find out more about community groups. We've had feedback from people just to say, we don't know how to do it. And this morning, 10% of the morning service people signed up for community groups. And uh, they just said, you know, we've been waiting. And some said we would like to have one in our house. And some people are just been, somehow been waiting, saying, we don't know how to do this. And uh, now we're going to just make it easy for you. It's again, it's an invitation. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. We're not going to change the way we feel about you or love you or what we can offer you, but we're just inviting you. Step closer, step further into community. But before we get there, I'd like you to stand with me. I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a bit of time of responding just to the word that I shared this evening. Just you want to close your eyes, and I just want to pray this. And then these guys are going to, I'm going to let them loose. Because, you know, when I know that I'm known and that I'm loved, I can be free. It brings freedom into my life. When I'm so afraid to be known, then I can't know others, really. And then I become trapped. I can't be free. So why don't you just this evening, as I pray for us right now, take a step to the Father and to say, Lord, I want you to know me. Forgive me for the stuff that I've hidden away. Forgive me for thinking that there's anything in my life that is so bad that you won't be able to love me for that. Forgive me for that, Lord. Forgive me for trying to fix myself. Forgive me for trying to take care of the things that you have come to take care of. I want to take the risk tonight to be honest with you. To be transparent before you. To be vulnerable before you, Lord. So that I can be loved by you. You already love me, but I want to know it. I want to experience it. Lord, so I pray for each of us. Just as we come into a time of worship, I pray that a freedom would rise up in our hearts. That as we step to you to say, Lord... I want to be known by you. I want to be known by you. And I pray for a release in every person. I take authority over fear in Jesus' name. Any person here that has lived for many years in fear, the fear that you will reject them, or the fear of being rejected, Lord, I want to take authority over that fear tonight, and I want to proclaim boldly in the Spirit that perfect love drives away all fear, and you are perfectly loved. You have no reason to fear. God loves you, and He accepts you. Come to Him, so that He can make you be who He created you to be. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Be with us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We want to continue to be in a space where the Lord can just continue to move. But the invitation to community is really very important for you to consider. So what we have available this evening is for you to be able to either through a digital way, 
to just fill in a little form to say, I'd like to get in more information. Will you please contact me? So there's a, there's a bit.ly code that they're going to put on the screen. You can, on your phone, go right onto that, and, and, and it'll take you to the space where you can fill that form in. You can do it right now. On our website, you can go and just scroll down on the website, and there's the community groups. And then you, you click on that link, and it'll take you to the place where you can fill in that information. You can also this evening come to the tables that are in the front of my right here. And just there's a hard copy if you want to fill in a hard copy and just say, just give me information. I promise you all that's going to happen is somebody's going to contact you and give you information. And then you're going to decide. We're not going to stalk you. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to do crazy things. And if you, if you like later on to say, what did I do? How can I do this? And you don't want to, that's great. That's fine. It's, just, it's we invite you strongly, but we invite you. Come and be part of a community of people that all we try and do is just to say, Lord, we want to love you more. We want to love each other. And so that from that place, we can love this broken world. So if you want to right now, you can take out your phone. There's also QR codes on the banners. You can scan it if you want to do that. That'll be so cool. The team did a lot of effort to put those codes on. Well, somebody please go and scan the code and make use of it that way. And come in and just... Fill in the form, submit it, and then somebody's going to contact you. So please make use of that opportunity. If you're not right now in a moment where the Spirit of God is moving and somebody's praying for you, then you do that. That's an option available for you. Or when you're finished up front here, then, let the Lord, then you do that or whatever. But we're going to continue just to have a bit of time in the Lord's presence. If you have to go because you've got actually supposed to be doing a project right now, may the Lord go with you. Or if you want to sleep because you know you're not young anymore and you need to go sleep like me, then that's okay. But let's continue in the Lord's presence and just pray. And if you want somebody to pray with you, just come and grab anybody that's standing in the front here and just say, pray for me. And we'd love to do that. If you've never given your life to Jesus, just tell one of them, I want to give my life to Jesus so that I can be known by him and receive that knowing and live in that knowing. Thank you, Malika. Let's continue.